Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to revisit some of the great conversations we've had on JM in the AM. In anticipation of next week's flight, the Nefesh Benefesh charter flight to Israel, uh, on which we'll be actually broadcasting Tuesday morning show, uh, we spoke with Rabbi Yoshua Fass, Rabbi Josh Fass, recently on JM in the AM, co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh, as we build up to the big charter flight, and as he enjoys an amazing summer of 2017 in regard to North American Aliyah. Rabbi Yehoshua Josh Fass on JM Rewind here at the Nachum Siegel Network. One of our favorites is with us live via telephone. He is the uh, co-founder and, of course, the leader of Nefesh Benefesh. They, have, they quite obviously are very, very busy this summer, like every summer. Rabbi Yehoshua Josh Fass is with us live via telephone from Israel. Rabbi Fass, Baruch Haba, welcome back to JM in the AM. Baruch thank you so much, Nachum. I greatly appreciate it. We'll talk about the busy summer and how we look forward to, uh, again, escorting and being part of uh, the big August flight, which is going to be amazing, no doubt. Uh, but first, Rabbi Fass, um, you're somebody who is... Uh, living in Israel and an observer of the Jewish scene both there and around the world. I will say that uh, as, as, as difficult as this might sound to some people, because I don't want to minimize those who suffer and are victims of other attacks, when these terror attacks by the enemy take place on a Friday night in someone's home, it seems to pierce the collective Jewish heart around the world even more strongly than a quote-unquote, and I hate saying this, regular terror attack. Uh, what is it like there, m- much more so on the spot, when you hear the news of what happened on Lil Shabbat? Well, it, it, it's beyond tragic, and it, it pierces one's heart and soul. And I, I, don't, I don't know why uh, a Shabbat setting is more tragic than another another uh, terrorist activity. Maybe it's the vulnerability. Maybe it's the serenity. Maybe it's just uh, being in one's home, thinking that you're protected, and having someone come in and, and literally slaughter a family. It, 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 um, it shakes you to the core. It really shakes you to the core. My niece was actually in a for for Shabbat, and just um, traumatized from, from, that, from that Shabbat experience. And it just it it's it's traumatizing for all of Am Yisrael, not just for those yeah. who live in Israel, yeah. because it 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 brings back a lot of trauma and past trauma, uh, past terrorist activity, and even as 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 someone was mentioning, this is you know brings us back to you know to World War II of hiding out in attics and hiding away from persecution. This is not what it's all. This is not what. Uh, this redemption is supposed to be about, and and I think that's the vulnerability, the the post-traumatic syndrome, the referencing to past tragedies. Um, it it, uh, it shakes one. It, it uh, makes us feel vulnerable, and uh, on top of that, there's the, the mourning for the family. Yeah. And just and just taking in trying to understand. As, the trajectory of this family, the trauma of the family. You know, you spend a, you spend a lot of time with Israeli government officials, and we know that the biggest responsibility of any government 
is to protect its people, obviously. Um, and today, in fact, you were in the Knesset. Uh, and it's po- and it's possible that this episode came up at some point uh, as people you know discuss it days afterwards. Um, what's your impression of the way uh, our leadership in Israel uh, takes these episodes? We we'd have to assume I'd have to assume they take it obviously very very seriously. Um, but you know, how how do you sometimes see them react to these types of things that uh, unfortunately go on uh, in the state of Israel? It's uh. That's a, it's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I was I was in the Knesset today. There was uh, an intimate setting of of welcoming Ambassador David Freeman, the U.S. ambassador to Israel in the Knesset, and it was just really a small room. And they had a, a rotating visitation of of a bunch of Knesset members. There were around three dozen Knesset members that came in and out and listened to Ambassador Freeman, and also gave him blessings and brachot and success uh, wishes. And it was interesting. You can see on the faces of uh, of the ministers and, and the Knesset members who hasn't slept for days, <laughs> either either because of the back the backroom um, security meetings or what was happening in Jordan, or just the emotional toll it's taken. And I know some of them personally, and and even speaking to them, it just it's it takes a toll. Uh, on, on one soul, and there are others who are much more pragmatic, and and this is unfortunately the the that the narrative of the Jewish people, and yeah. and and they take a more pragmatic uh, approach to what needs to be done, and move this to that, and that has to happen, and and, and it's uh, it's a necessity, I guess. I think if you're too emotionally uh, invested, maybe you can't make decisions clearly. But um, you would hope, and, and, and for a majority of them, you see it, you witness that there's a lot of emotional investment and toll that it takes. Yeah, because we sit from thousands of miles away and question decisions that the government makes and, you know, wonder why they cave in on certain things and, uh, you know, and, and don't follow the what we think, uh, you know, is the instinctive way of dealing with a situation when the enemy is rearing its ugly head. Listen, I'm I'm two inches away from the picture, and I don't understand certain decisions <laughs> that make. I, I I think there needs to be a collective um, uh, dosage of humility. Uh, the, what we see and what's reported is just a tip of the iceberg, and uh, the complexities of decisions uh, are, are are great. Um, so uh, as we just we can voice our anger and voice our disappointment and raise our hands in disbelief of certain actions, but there has to be peppered with a sense of a bit of humility that we don't know the whole picture. Yeah. And uh, I uh, and I'm not jealous of those who have to ha- look at all the variables and make these decisions when life and death is at stake. Rabbi Yeshua Fass, Nefesh Benefesh. Um, speaking of David Friedman. And I ask this only because even before he was ambassador, he was a pretty influential uh, member of Jewish leadership, etc. Has he ever been on a Nefesh Benefesh flight from New York to Tel Aviv? He has not been on a Nefesh Benefesh flight. We um, uh, we might uh, see him soon oh. at, at, an, at an event, but he has not yet uh, experienced a Nefesh flight. There's been interest, but uh, we have not yet actualized that. All right, that would be cool. That would be nice. It would be cool. Yeah. yeah. Nachum, you're on the August flight, right? I'm on the August flight. Looking, okay. Looking so forward you to might, it. You might be able to enjoy him from up close. Now, I, I don't even know, you know to what degree you've been informed about this, because... Uh, you know, you have much more important things to deal with than the content of our show. 
Uh, but uh, a an executive decision has been made that that we are going to actually do our entire three hour jam in the AM from that flight. We've experimented in the past and have done portions of the show from the flight, but uh, you're going to see a very wiped out Nahum Siegel after a three hour presentation on the upcoming Nefesh Benefesh charter flight. First of all, I heard rumors. Oh, you did hear. So rumors. I like you. I like you <laughs> confirming that. And second of all, I cannot imagine an Alchem Siegel who is wiped out. You have uh, endless, boundless amount of energy. So I, I don't think a three-hour live, turbulence-filled um, uh, flight is going to. Uh, oh, and by the way, on and by the way, let's get this out of the way right now. If the ambassador is on the flight. None of this, the ambassador's resting can't be disturbed. You get him on the show, all right? Simple as that. He will not be on the plate, I can tell you right oh, now. That so you have three <laughs> hours that you don't have to even think of that. <laughs> all right. So, so that's out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. The big flight is coming up. It is amazing to uh, consider the the people. You know, I thought about this the other day as, as we're talking about the uh, terrorist attack Friday night. It is it is amazing to me, and maybe it's just you know we can uh, explain it as human nature in some way. It is amazing to me how episodes like that encourage young people to go and fight for the Israel Defense Forces. And I would bet yeah. that if we would speak to, I don't know, any of the uh, or most of the what is it, one hundred or close to one hundred soldiers or more yeah. that are part yeah. of that flight in August, I would bet there was an episode, a specific incident uh, that has occurred that really put them over the top in terms of the desire to serve. In the IDF, you probably heard a lot of those stories over the years. Yeah, absolutely. It galvanizes this, uh, or is, it acts as an impetus for individuals to want to fight for the Jewish people, be not on the sidelines, uh, help uh, you know, be in this incredibly blessed opportunity in history to have a, a Jewish land, a Jewish government, a Jewish army. And uh, they view it as very much a merit and a blessing to be part of it. And there's always uh, something in their sh- short history that sparked this interest or was the impetus for them to connect to this idea. And it's fascinating to hear story after story. I love reading the essays that these young Olim write for their interest in making Aliyah. And you'll see it on the plane. I mean, half the plane is uh, our lone soldiers. So just walking through the, just the first section of the economy is, is all packed of, of Chayilim Bodedim. So you just go row by row and you hear story after story, and it's just incredible. Also, the diversity of the soldiers from where they're coming from and their religious backgrounds and just guys and girls. It's just remarkable. That's really fascinating to listen. Well, that's one of the things we always point out, the uh, diversity when it comes to gender, geography, religious affiliation. And I wonder when you started Nefesh Benefesh, if you thought that it could get typecasted, if you thought at the beginning we got to be careful, we don't want to be known as a, you know, what, you know, fill in the blank organization, and you have to keep you know everybody in the Jewish world in North America, you know, open to to making Aliyah with you. After all, you want it to be the you know the resource, the conduit for people to move to Israel. Did, were you, did you ever fear at the beginning that you know we got to be careful not to take a certain direction to stay open to everybody? It's an ongoing um, consciousness, an ongoing sensitivity. People in the beginning saw me as an Orthodox rabbi. There was always this uh, assumption that Orthodox Jews make Aliyah, no one else, and very much wanted to show that the entire spectrum of Jewry do make Aliyah, 
and that the entire spectrum of jury have an address within Nefesh. And uh, it took us a few years for people to feel sensitive enough to realize that, yes, we are open to everyone, and we, we are the conduits for, for everyone to move to Israel. And even though there's an Orthodox rabbi here and there's an Orthodox individuals, the, the entire staff very much represents all Jews, and we understand the fears, wants, concerns, needs of every Jew. Um, and we, programming, ongoing programming, both in the States and also in Israel, has to constantly be sensitive to that. To that. You can't just throw... Uh, a Friday, you know, a Shabbos Kiddush and a Shir right. for for young singles in Yushalayim and feel that you fulfilled your obligation of programming for that Shabbat. You have to realize there's a diversity of Jews that come to Israel, and they need different things, and they need to be integrated and find, acclimate and find their communities and, and, and get the services that they need. So it's, it's a constant, constant sensitivity on our behalf. Even the name of the organization, it must have been a... Uh great debate if it should be in hebrew may not appeal to everybody it, 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 unfortunately there was no real thought put into it <laughs> <laughs> i mean it, 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 in, in retrospect i would have done a lot of things differently no the, the, the nefesh benefesh came from my emotive experience of wanting to do something for my for my cousin who was naftali lanskron who was killed in the beginning of the second intifada and i wanted to to show that that we were going to fight terrorism with a sense of hope and optimism and almost that i was omid benaf show, that my nefesh will stand in his nefesh, if that's even possible, of passing on the baton to fight negativity and darkness and terrorism with a sense of rebirth and building and, and moving forward. And that's where it came from. It was purely an emotive, spontaneous, uh, it was within days of, of, the, of the tragedy, uh, I, I filled out the papers for, for the nonprofit status. In, besides people not being able to pronounce it, besides for it being in Hebrew, <laughs> besides it having nothing to do with Aliyah, um, uh, it's 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 been around for 15 years, so I guess now it's, it has its staying power. Yeah, so, but uh, somehow it worked. <laughs> it worked. It's like Coca-Cola. What does that mean? You know, it's you have a branding, and if you brand it enough and has multiple impressions, and it's supposed to equal something, it equals something. But in retrospect, I would have. Uh... <laughs> that is interesting. Herbie Fass is with us. Um, all right, uh, you'll hear a lot about this, everybody, as we fly to Israel with Nevis Benefish in just a couple of weeks. And get ready for the big charter flight from JFK to Tel Aviv's Ben Gurion Airport. Uh, it is a very, very uplifting experience. And uh, who knows? You may find yourself on the Nefesh Benefesh website after hearing us in the air on that historic flight. All of their flights are historic. Uh, information nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il. Not too early to uh, get your uh, applications in, no matter when you want to go, winter, summer, etc. And of course, you can contact them at 866. 866- for Aliyah, eight six six four Aliyah. Rabbi Fast, before I let you go, there are too many people in this audience who care about you and would be shocked if I didn't address uh, a specific issue. Um, uh, everybody out there wants to just make sure that rabbinic authorities in Israel are treating you the way you should be treated. Are you going? Are you getting along fine with everybody over there? Yeah. <laughs> See, uh, when I woke up Sunday morning after this, uh, when my Google alert posted a blacklist at my name, I knew something was off because I have a, a remarkable relationship with, with, with the rabbinate, with the chief rabbi's office. I also have written scores of 
of proof of Judaisms, and I've actually affirmed other rabbis as well, and been an in-between just to clarify certain statuses of other rabbis for, for the, and other documents for the chief rabbinate. So I, I knew something was, was off. And uh, even though people were bombarding me for comments, I really just wanted to check with, with the chief rabbi's office before making any comment publicly. And literally within an hour, coming into the office, I called. I, I was able to talk to everyone there. Uh, tremendous, um, genuine apologies, and uh, wanted to rectify whatever situation it was. They're still trying to get to the bottom of it. What did that list mean? Um, uh, what does it reflect? Um, and who is this person, and why your names were included on it? To the best of my knowledge, it was just, and that's what the title of that page was, was a list of documents from around the world that were questionable in 2016. Now, questionable does not mean rabbinic status. Questionable means that many times you write documents, and it's happened to me personally, sometimes the dates are incorrect, sometimes the names are incorrect, sometimes the stationery is off-centered, sometimes the signature or the stamp on the signature is off, and they ask you to redo it. So any list of any document from around the world, from multiple countries, that was questionable in 2016 was put on this list. I don't know how it was sold to the press as a blacklist or sensationalized as being uh, the chief rabbinet looking into people's uh, um, rabbinic status, but uh, it got out of control. And uh, parties recognized that it got out of control, and within hours, I received a written apology. I was uh, next day invited by Raflau himself, the chief rabbi of Israel, to his to his office to have a personal apology, and and uh, and I've been put in a in a uh, interesting position now of of because they are so apologetic in this interesting position of helping um, the rabbinate chart a new strategy of how documents are reviewed and. God forbid for the, any of this misunderstanding to ever happen again, and also to help other rabbis um, overseas in multiple countries um, uh, rectify the situation for them for themselves. So, so some good has um, come from this episode. A little lemonade, right. <laughs> uh, not to say that the f- first few, you know, day right. or two was uh, not uncomfortable, right. um, but uh, but thank God, uh, you know. Uh, yet Satov, some good came out of it, and hopefully good will continue to come from it. Well, we just want to make sure you're treated with the respect that you uh, so rightfully deserve. So Baruch Hashem. Thank you very much. That's very sweet of you. Uh, looking Thank forward you. to seeing you soon and easy fast. Uh, I, I, Thank let, you. Let's hope we reunite in Jerusalem very soon, like the, uh, like the plan uh, that we have to uh, escort the plane, Bezrat Hashem, or be on the plane uh, in, the, um, uh, in the upcoming we- August charter. Reunite is a great word to use during the nine days. We should all be united as an Amichad in Eretz Israel, and we should have uh, this should be our last Tisha B'Av if we even needed this Tisha B'Av in a few days from now, and just we should uh, continue to see Shalom and Gula in our lives. Amen. God bless you, Rabbi Fast. Be well. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much, Nachum. Rabbi Yoshua Fast, co-founder Nefesh Benefesh, will be there. August flight, of course. Tune in. Make sure to be listening. You will be. You will be inspired, I can tell you that much. You will be inspired. And um, we are looking forward to really an amazing journey, as all of our Nefesh Benefesh journeys are absolutely amazing. That was my conversation with Rabbi Fass, uh, a recent conversation before Tisha B'Av. And uh, next week we'll be with Rabbi Fass on board the Nefesh Benefesh charter flight. We're actually going to be broadcasting JM and the AM from that plane. 
Next up, Shai Porat joined us recently. There's a campaign uh, entitled Help Tsippy Return Home. Help Tsippy Return Home. Shai Porat went through the details with us on a recent edition of JM and the AM. Here it is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Um, many of you are um, aware of a stabbing intifada, as it was called. We were there in Israel, you may recall, uh, February during the stabbing intifada time for a Jewish unity initiative when we broadcasted from the old city and then from Dizengoff in Tel Aviv and then back at the uh, Pinachaman, the Gush, uh, to make a statement that uh, we are with you. Achenu Israel and Achnu Machem. Uh, and now we have an opportunity to really show love from thousands of miles away for somebody who was a victim, called the most serious injured victim of the stabbing intifada, and that's Tzipi Yakovian, who has been imprisoned, quote-unquote, uh, in the hospital, that's what they mean by imprisoned, for over 270 days. She can't be released because she doesn't have a home to go to that's adapted to her needs. With us live via telephone is Shai Porat. He is senior consultant at Gal Communications. Gal has taken on this case pro bono to try to help uh, raise some money and bring Tsippy home. Uh, as the campaign is entitled, Help Tippy Return Home. Shai Porat, welcome to JM in the AM. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. How'd you find out about this situation? Well, we got lucky uh, to be acquainted with uh, Mr. Ori Schechter, who is a well-known uh, uh, activist, social activist, and uh, and an education uh, person, Um and uh, he's well known at the, at the Gush that you just mentioned, and um, he he's a friend of the family, and uh, he uh, introduced us to this case. We came, uh, we saw Tipi, and actually, I think uh, when we came back from the meeting with Tipi, we came back different because because Tipi was actually you you can say she was actually murdered. Uh, because she was dead when she came to the hospital. Wow. A uh, terrorist uh, cut her spinal cord. She was uh, not able to breathe. And uh, really, she, she fought against the odds and uh, won. Uh, but unfortunately, as, as you said so yourself, uh, very unfortunately, uh, the, the place was where her savior, the hospital, be- became her prison. And the reason is because Tsipi needs a, a very special home. She needs uh, an accessible place. She needs a place that will be very close to Bet HaLochem in Jerusalem because she's going to uh, spend every day in Bet HaLochem in order to do special exercise and therapy. Um, she needs to be not more than 20 minutes from there. Um, there is a lot of medical equipment that needs to be uh, implemented in, in the flat, in the house. Of course, uh, an accessible house is, is, should be on one floor. Uh, people who are aware of handicapped persons with wheelchairs know that. Yeah. Uh, she cannot even press an elevator button. She, she needs a lot, and people can read about it online. I mean, she needs a lot in order to make this work. Uh, the, by the way, the website is Give Back co.il give back.co.il the campaign is called help sippy t-s-i-p-p-i help sippy return home uh i know you're trying to raise a million shekel uh in this campaign is that going to be enough will that be enough if, if you reach that number to get her out of the hospital uh 
Yes, the, the mathematics is like this. Um, the state supports uh, such victims, but the maximum support you can get is 1.9 million shekels. On top of that, uh, unfortunately, at the age of 40, uh, Tipi and her husband, Benny, and the kids, she has two kids, uh, going to leave their very beloved home at Anatot, which is uh, about uh, 20 minutes from Jerusalem. And uh, after selling the house and after getting the uh, uh, aid from, from the uh, state of Israel, and after taking even another mortgage, as I mentioned, at the age of 40, to take a one million shekel mortgage is not something simple with a handicapped uh, woman in your house. But after all that, one million shekels are still missing just to get a flat that will suit their needs. Uh, so, um, basically, one of the reasons we are feeling that this is very urgent is because the family is falling apart. Uh, her kids come to visit her in, in the hospital. Her husband doesn't work all these, uh, you know, nine months. And uh, they, are, they are getting very, very tired and sad and frustrated. I can, I can only imagine. You're, you're 31% there, according to the website, 31% there uh, in terms of achieving the 1 million shekel goal. Uh, you have creative stuff. It, it's, it, 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 it's, um, it's nice. It's really nice. It's heartwarming. Some of the creative things you're offering for people uh, who are giving. If someone gives 70 Israeli shekel, they get a ticket to Machona Mikdash. Uh, that that's worth more than seventy shekel, I could tell you. So people people not only help Tippy, but they but they get that gift um, for three hundred and fifty shekel. Tippy's friends will actually call you and answer your questions and keep you up to date about how she's doing. Again, heartwarming. Uh, a picture drawn by Tippy's children is a thank you for those who give five hundred and fifty five Israeli shekel. And I love the one for five thousand shekel. Tzipi's father, has Chaim, has actually offered to make anybody a decadent breakfast for anybody who gives 5,000 Israeli shekel. And, of course, this just shows how family and friends are, are, are desperately trying to do anything and, uh, and, and keep a, a stiff upper lip, so to speak, as this process is going on and uh, will do anything to get her out of that hospital and into a home situation. First of all, thank you, Nahum, for making this effort. It's, it's, it means a lot to us because I think that one of the main difficulties for us is to get as much as exposure as possible uh, in the Jewish world. Right. And I'm sure anybody who will hear about this situation will, will make his contribution. Second thing, uh, I want to say that if somebody is, uh, uh, would like to, to give something unique, something special, or maybe a bigger gift that uh, uh, from, from the gifts uh, that, that, that you can find in the website. Um, he can, uh, you know, uh, call through you or call through uh, our people or just look, uh, uh, help CP return home on Google and through the give back, uh, call us or write us any, anywhere. We are there to, to listen and make any effort for CP to uh, Return home, and I hope uh, in a few weeks I could, you know, I will have happy, uh, happy updates. I mean, let's, let's hope. So. If I'm reading this correctly, am I right that over a thousand people have already given? Is that right? Or? Yes, yes, you are correct. It's it's amazing. Uh, actually, uh, almost a hundred and a hundred and six 
1,634. Wow. That's, that's the number today. And, you know, every exposure brings more and more people because uh, there is one thing that I uh, can see each and every day, and it's really amazing that if someone hears about it, um, that's, that's all you need to do. Is, uh, is, is the easiest way to donate the way I described it, to go to the giveback.co.il and then just search Help Sippy Return Home? Is that the easiest way to get to the page? Uh, you can do it uh, in a few ways. You can get to the give back page, which is very easy to find, as you said. And at the beginning of the, at the top of the page, you can find also uh, a bank account if it's not comfortable for you to to uh, make a donation through the credit card system. Sometimes they don't accept some of the American cards, so uh, you can uh, donate straight to the uh, bank account. Or you can write to us, and we will help you in any way uh, you need to uh, to make a donation personally. And all that info is right there when you get to the page. All right, it's Policewoman Sippy. She and her family are trying to purchase an accessible home suited to her needs so she can start a new life after more than nine months that she's been at Hadassah Hospital while the terrorist who stabbed her is alive and well. Sippy Akovian, the most recent, the most seriously injured victim of the stabbing in Tavada. She survived against all odds, 270 days in the hospital. You can read all about it, and you can give and give generously as they try to get to 1 million shekel over the next 20-plus days uh, by going to uh, giveback.co.il. Giveback.co.il. The page you're looking for is called Help Sippy. Return home. Help Sippy, T S I P P I, return home. And uh, whatever you give, uh, obviously, as I described earlier, is very, very appreciated by friends and family who are um, desperately trying to make this work for Sippy and her family. Um, I want to thank Shai Parat. Shai Tadaraba, keep us up to date on how this is going. And I hope my listeners come through and toss in some shekels to the campaign. Thank you. That was my recent conversation with Shai Porat helping to direct the campaign entitled Help Sippy Return Home. Matthew Hacherman, executive director of the Boca Raton Synagogue, has become a uh, very important figure in the world of uh, Gift of Life. The Gift of Life Foundation, uh, which tries to find matches in the arena of uh, bone marrow. Um, Matthew Hacherman was found to be a match, and we had an opportunity to discuss the chesed opportunity he was presented with that he took advantage of recently on JM in the AM. Matthew Hacherman regarding Gift of Life on a recent edition of JM in the AM here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, well, Matthew Hacherman, the name may sound familiar to you because he was uh, an integral part of our February trip down to Boca Raton with Nefesh Benefesh in terms of uh, setting things up with us logistically and helping us out both uh, before and during our uh, long visit. Matthew Hacherman is with us. He's the executive director down at the Boca Raton Synagogue, and he is with us live via telephone. He and Zach Grossman were recognized by the Miami Marlins, the major league team, the Miami Marlins, for an amazing accomplishment. Matthew Hacherman, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Malcolm. It's a pleasure to be with you. Things doing well down there in Florida? Yes, incredible stuff. We have a great summer colo going on right now. We have 20 guys from YU with uh, all-day learning for the community in the evenings. It's incredible, incredible stuff. You take great pride in what BRS is doing down there, and it seems they're doing stuff 24 hours a day, seven days a week. (laughs) 
that's what we pride ourselves on. It's, uh, it's a great place, and if you haven't been, we invite everyone to come check it out. When was the first time, if you recall, that you were even tested to see if you were a bone marrow match by gift of life? So I, was, uh, I swabbed at an event at uh, Capsule Day School at their Hanukkah fair in December of 2013. Um, there was a search going on for a member of our community, and uh, it took the literally two minutes it takes to swab my cheek. I totally forgot about it. I had no idea anything after that. And uh, back in uh, March of 2016, I got a call that I was a possible match. And uh, from there, I went for further testing and uh, was told that I am the match. And it was the most exhilarating phone call that um, I think I've ever received. And this was, uh, I, I assume after that, this was the opportunity for you to actually donate bone marrow to somebody in need of it. Correct. So I, uh, I, went, I, I was told that there was a 71-year-old uh, patient that had uh, suffering from blood cancer who needed a uh, bone marrow transplant. So I went and did uh, peripheral stem cells, which is a process where they increase the bone marrow production in your stem cells, and then they take blood from one arm, put it through an apheresis machine, and put it back into the other arm. Right. Uh, not, not painful at all. The whole process takes anywhere between four and six hours. And uh, it's basically like donating blood. And the opportunity to save someone's life was just an incredible experience. And uh, for a simple two-minute test, it's, it's important for everyone to uh, join the registry. Matthew Hockerman is with us. And, uh, and acting as if I don't know the answer to this question, have you had any activity with Gift of Life since then? <laughs> I am a uh, huge advocate of theirs. Um, I, I speak for them on a, a number of occasions. Uh, Jay Feinberg, the founder of Gift of Life, uh, went through his own search about 20, uh, 21 years ago, and um, he and I know you helped with that search as well. And um, I, it, it's an incredible organization. The, Jay Feinberg, his entire team, they work tirelessly to try to find as many matches as possible and uh, facilitate uh, these uh, these donations. And their team is incredible from beginning to end. They watch over and make sure every little detail is taken care of. And uh, I can't thank them enough. And uh, I, I'm fully supportive of everything they do. When was the last time you were, when was the most recent time you were called and told you are needed? So I actually got a call in the end of May, right before Shavuos, telling me that I was needed once again to be a donor for the same patient. Um, so I went through the process and I donated most recently on June 12th um, in Virginia. And uh, I'm now considered a two-time donor in the Gift of Life system. Are there a lot of two-time donors? It's not uncommon, but it is not. It, it is. Uh, it is rare um, to be called multiple times. The the just the chances of being a match to a second person or to be a match to the same person who needs a boost is is, uh, is not very common. Speaking of matches, tell me about this match between you, Zach Grossman, and the Miami Marlins. So uh, the Miami Marlins are an extremely generous organization, and they. Uh, dedicated uh, Sunday's game to uh, do a bone marrow drive at Marlins Park. There's a uh, gentleman named Manny who is in uh, search for a match, and uh, the Miami Marlins did a drive with, uh, with Gift of Life, and as part of that drive, they um, reached out to, the Gift of Life reached out to uh, my family and I to join them on the field before the game, and we were recognized for our um, selflessness. Um, it's not about me, though. It's about uh, raising awareness for the organization and for the need for everyone to join the registry. Any idea about how many people were swabbed on the, that day? Uh, we have not yet gotten the full counts yet. Um, while the swabbing and joining the registry is important, it's also uh, important to remember that 
to process each swab kit costs sixty dollars. Right. It's free to swab and join the registry, but in order to process those kits, they are um, in uh, need of those finances as well. So if anyone wants to uh, join the registry or to uh, donate towards Gift of Life, uh, they should go to giftoflife.org um, to uh, so to see all the all, all that they can do. Yeah, and I'm sure there are people there who don't realize they were swabbed before and things like that, so you don't know anything until uh, until everything gets processed, as you mentioned. Correct. Um, all right, uh, any great moments being on the field? We're talking about a real, live Major League Baseball stadium now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, my kids, I have a four-year-old and uh, two-year-old twins, so my two-year-olds had no idea what was going on, so they just <laughs> thought it was fun to play in the dirt as if they were in someone's sandbox. Um, so their hands were quite dirty, but just the whole overall experience, my four-year-old took it all in and had a great time, and uh, um, it, it was a great experience, and um, I, I keep telling my son about these experiences, and I remind him that the reason I'm able to do them is because of the big mitzvah that I did by giving blood to someone else. So he's growing up knowing what I did, and um, I look forward to uh, them seeing these pictures in years from now and getting a better understanding of what it's all about. Yeah, how are the Marlins doing, by the way? Did they win that day, or you don't remember? <laughs> <laughs> we only lasted until about the third inning with the little ones. <laughs> But um, they did not win, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, next time. Uh, um, Matthew Hockerman, executive director down at BRS, the Boca Raton Synagogue, he was recognized by the Miami Marlins for the uh, generosity of uh, donating twice uh, to a patient uh, bone marrow, literally a donation of bone marrow. You can go to giftoflife.org for information about everything they do. Jay Feinberg and his organization do remarkable work, giftoflife.org. And as uh, Matthew mentioned, every single time, uh, there is a swabbing any single time. There is a, any type of testing. It's a $60 charge or $60 cost, I should say, uh, in order to have everything processed. So if you give 60 bucks to the organization, you're literally uh, you know, helping them get one step closer uh, to uh, somebody um, being saved, frankly. Um, exactly. As, as they continue to, to uh, advance forward those who might be a match and to eliminate, frankly, those who are not. And, frankly, that's important as well to know, you know, uh, who potentially could be a match and who is not. Uh, giftoflife.org is the website, giftoflife.org. Give generously. And if you're a school or school or organization wants to do what the Marlins have done, recognize the great work of Gift of Life, and even, maybe even host a uh, swabbing um, event so that um, uh, somebody in your area or anywhere can be the beneficiary, you can get in touch with Jay Feinberg and his staff at giftoflife.org. Well, Matthew Hockerman, a big yeshikoch to you, and Mazel Tov on being recognized by a major league team. And uh, Thank you. continue your amazing work down there at BRS. We were extremely impressed with all of that. And uh, your mitzvah has not gone unnoticed. We're very proud to know you, uh, just like the Marlins are. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time and for all you do. I appreciate that. Matthew Hockerman down in Florida, giftoflife.org. The Miami Marlins recognizing the greatness of the organization. That was my conversation with Matthew Hockerman, a donor who has uh, helped somebody Stay alive. Recently, Senator Schumer was with us on JM in the AM. He had uh, echoed from the Senate floor the words of the President of France, who had uh, compared anti-Zionism to anti-Semitism, rightfully so. We had a chance to discuss this topic with Senator Schumer on a recent edition of JM in the AM. Here it is on JM Rewind at the Nachum Siegel Network. J.M. in the A.M. Wednesday morning broadcast. Well, Senator Schumer has uh, graciously, and, and believe me, with his schedule, 
and everything that he's battling now in Washington, it is uh, difficult for him to set aside a couple of minutes, but uh, I am happy to say that he's able to join us for a, a couple of minutes this morning in a Senate floor speech this week. Senator Schumer, leader of the Democratic Party and um, a Senate minority leader, applauded French President Macron for comments over the weekend. He says we will yield nothing to anti-Zionism because it is the reinvented form of anti-Semitism. All right, that is quite a statement, and we uh, and we have Senator Schumer with us live via telephone to discuss it with him. Senator, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Good to be with you. I appreciate that. What made you utilize Macron's... Well, Macron's you know, I, wo- I woke up one morning, I'm very busy, as you said, these days, and I saw the headline of the paper, and that is that Prime Minister, or French President, rather, Macron, said that anti-Zionism is the new form of anti-Semitism. And, you know, my heart went pitter-patter. Finally, a world leader was saying something that I've been saying, you've been saying, Nachum, so many of us have been saying for a long time. And it needed to be said, and so I went to the Senate floor and gave a speech. You know, the subject mainly these days is health care, just uh, praising Mr. Macron, as you know, when Prime Minister Netanyahu visited him, that's when he said it. And this is absolutely true. First, we all know, you know, Europe has anti-Semitism deep in its bones. It's hard for it to eradicate it. And second, so many of those in Europe and now here in America have used uh, anti-Zionism as just just an excuse. I get lots of anti-Semitic comments on Twitter aimed at me, far right, far left. And so many of them say that Zionist, anti-Zionist Schumer, that Schumer Zionist, and they don't mean Zionist, they mean Jewish. Right. They mean Jew. And uh, so the bottom line is very simple. Um, This is where the anti-Semites have found refuge, and too much of polite society finds it acceptable. The BDS movement, in my opinion, and I mentioned this on the floor in my speech, is nothing more than a modern form of anti-Semitism. Why is that, you say? Well, what is anti-Semitism? Very simply put, it was everyone else could do normal things, but not the Jew. Everyone could be a farmer, not the Jew. Everyone could live in Moscow, not the Jew. Well, when you say everyone else can have their own state, but not the Jew, because BDS movement fundamentally is attacking the Jewish state uh, and has a double standard, uh, that's just what we're talking about, because the BDS movement boycotts Israel, and doesn't say a peep about, you know, the 95% of the countries of the world that have far less uh, good human rights records, democratic forms of government than Israel. It's simply aimed being anti-Israel, and I do know this. There are people in that BDS movement who are just dedicated to the destruction of Israel. No question about that. Senator Schumer is with us. He had the, uh, he had the opportunity and took full advantage of it this week to be- declare to the world that anti-Zionism is a smokescreen for anti-Semitism. Uh, here, here, Senator Schumer, amazing. Uh, in general, uh, we know that, thank God, um, certainly in your tenure, House and then the uh, the Senate, uh, the Congress in general has been uh, known to, to get this, to be supporters of Israel, uh, generally speaking. Is it the same now in this era that it was early on in your career? Well, it's a little bit different in two ways. Um, there was always anti-Zionism, anti-Israel, at least, on the hard left. Uh, but there was also a lot of it on the hard right, They, you know, the old-timers. As we've moved forward, the hard left has stayed. It's small, but it's there. The hard right 
um, has stayed as well in new forms, uh, some of these all-day people and all of that. But the big change that's occurred is, I think, that the evangelical movement has become very pro-Israel, and they're a powerful force, and they weren't around when I first started, uh, either as a force or as pro-Israel. And, you know, my worry, of course, uh, is that the younger generation hasn't seen the struggles of Israel. I remind the young people whenever I speak, I say, I remember walking around the halls of my high school in June of 67 with a transistor radio more or less glued to my ear. First, they don't know what a transistor radio <laughs> is, so I tell them. Right. But second, I tell them, because we were worried that Israel would be washed into the sea. The Arab nations, much stronger, 40 million people in those days, huge amounts of weapons. We're trying to push Israel into the sea, and of course, praise God, Baruch Hashem, Israel prevailed. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me. No problem. But they don't see the struggle. They think Israel is strong. <laughs> the Palestinians have done a very good job with media of making it seem like Israel is the oppressor when we all know that Israel's just trying to prevent the terrorism that exists. And uh, these kids don't know the history. So that's my worry, that the younger generation has, doesn't know the history and is less pro-Israel than the older generation. Last thing, Senator, uh, your statement when the president uh, sadly did not uh, move the embassy, he signed the waiver uh, that, which delayed the move of the U.S. embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Your, your statement was very strong and most welcomed by our community. Do you think there's hope? Do you think during his term we will see the move? Well, I hope there is. You know, Senator McConnell and I, as you mentioned, this is not a partisan issue. Thank God the, Jew, the uh, Democrats and Republicans are both very pro-Israel. And um, McConnell and I, he's the leader, Republican leader, the Senate, I'm a Democratic leader, right. introduced legislation, a resolution reaffirming what was the, called the Jerusalem Act of 1995, which is the first act I was involved back then in uh, saying that the embassy ought to be in Jerusalem. It passed 90 to nothing. Now, the president delayed it. And uh, but he said he was considering it, and we're going to still uh, still be pushing to have it done. If you believe, as I do, that Jerusalem is the undivided capital of Israel, all the embassies should be there, and the U.S. should take the lead. Thanks for continuing the fight, Senator. Be well. Great speaking to you today. You too, Nachum. Good to see you, and have a good week and a good rest of the summer. Thank you, you so much. You as well. Bye-bye. Senator Schumer, uh, Senate Minority Leader, big statement this week. He said it. He said what we've been saying, what so many Jewish leaders are courageous enough to say, and um, uh, what some European leaders, frankly, can't say. Uh, and to some, it was a it was a surprise that the uh, uh, president of uh, France was actually able to uh, uh, to get up the uh, the guts to say what he said. Essentially, that anti-Zionism is a smokescreen for anti-Semitism, and we laud Senator Schumer for taking that issue in that direct fashion to the Senate floor this week. That was my conversation with Senator Schumer regarding anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. We'll wrap things up and wind down this hour of JM Rewind with some great music. I thank you very much for tuning in. Keep it here all day long and continue to enjoy our programming right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Only after the darkest time of night we see the first glistening ray of light The twilight at the end of days All bad, all we've had will dissipate 
Night and day will come together to create a glow And we'll see a new dawn And all the world will know
escuro 